Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Oh, and welcome back to the uh, How to Exit podcast. Today, I'm here with Daniel Sweet. Daniel is a managing partner at Sweetview Partners, where he leads a team buying and growing small Texas-based B2B companies. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I always like to start with kind of how did you get into the origin story? I kind of jokingly often say, you know, you were born and now you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisitions. Can you fill out the gap in between? But can you, can you kind of give us uh, some some ideas of how you got into this space? Sure, sure. So I actually started my life as a uh, technology guy. Um, I spent 27 years in the technology industry um, and, you know, was so I've been through enough of the technology industry to uh, have all sorts of things forced on me. Uh, so these are growth experiences. Uh, so, you know, I started out, actually, I worked uh, Apple's help desk as my first real job. Uh, before that, I was, you know, in high school doing uh, work for uh, everybody who had a computer problem, more or less. Uh, so started out hands on learning the computer stuff on my own, uh, went into a technology career, but always, always felt like more of an entrepreneurial kind of guy trapped in a 10, 12, 20, 70,000 person company. Um, and I, every time I left a job, I kept saying, I, no, I'm going to a small company now. No, no, I'm going to do a small company. And I never did. Um, it, it, you know, it turns out the money was too good. Uh, golden handcuffs. <laughs> uh, so one thing I learned along the way, I'd, I had been forced into sales. So some of your listeners may not have been alive during the dot-com era. I got forced into sales because there weren't enough salespeople to do anything. Um, and uh, I, you know, was, I was delivering technology services and, and not a lot of people knew how to talk about that. So they said, eh, you do it. Uh, turns out that was a great experience. Um, so I went into sales, sales management, did, you know, ran some offices, opened some offices for some companies, that kind of thing. So I've done a lot of different things that really kind of scratched the entrepreneurial itch while I was still working for giant companies. Um, and eventually I got down to the point where uh, I was talking to some M&A guys at the mega global corp I was with at my last job, my last real job. Um, and uh, they were talking about what they did. And I said, well, that sounds cool. Could I do that with a small company? And he said, well, I mean, you could, but it would waste, be a waste of our time. It takes about the same amount of time to do a small thing as a big thing. So said, yeah, not for you, for me. Um, so, because I was familiar with a lot of, you know, three or five person technology companies that, you know, the person who started it would grow it up, make money, do whatever they did and go, okay, um, well, I'm bored with that. That's over. Challenge gone. I'm going to just shut it down and move on. Uh, and so I started talking to some of those guys about taking over their companies. 
Uh, they could sell it to me. I could put somebody in place. I could put actual real sales people in place because they never had any of that um, and grow them there. And that was kind of my retirement plan uh, in, in formation. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, Mega Global Corp decided that uh, it was reorg time again. And uh, so, you know, myself and several thousand of my closest friends all got an opportunity to try new things. Uh, but they had uh, a really good severance plan, so that worked out well. So I jumped into doing larger businesses kind of on my own because I really loved it. It's, you know, having, you know, being a technical guy, you automatically have super ADD. Um, it, it's all over the place. And doing this kind of work is like doing 87 different jobs at the same time. Uh, and it keeps the brain active and engaged and none of it ever gets boring. And so, uh, I mean, that that's ultimately how I got into it. And it's it's just been great since I did. So there, this is a beautiful space for that because there's a lot of different things to look at, a lot of things, moving parts, uh, a lot of shiny objects, though. So you got to be mm -hmm. careful with some of that. <laughs> Let's talk about, like, you, we had this conversation a little bit before the show, and we talked about this a little bit before in other, uh, other programs where I've been around you. You and I have um, been in meetings before. Uh, through some mentors and some other stuff. And, uh, but let's talk about that, like getting that first deal, that like how critical is getting nailing the first one right? Um, so, I mean, I'll even cut off the word right. So nailing the first deal mm -hmm. is key to this whole thing. And, and, you know, it took me a while to figure out, but the reality is if you are the perfect candidate to buy a business um, and you haven't bought a business, you are a guy who wants to buy a business <laughs> and that on the totem pole of uh, the way people think about people, that's, you know, probably somewhere underground. The guy who wants to buy a business isn't that nice. Move it along. I, I worked at this. So I jumped full time and just started networking like crazy. Um, and I would uh, talk to all sorts of people about their businesses, about what I'm trying to do and how it works together and how it would fit. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were like, Hey, that's pretty cool. I know some people that may be willing to sell all that kind of thing. They'd never come back until I bought my first business. Uh, when I bought my first business, then everybody said, Oh, he really meant that. He's serious about that thing. Okay. And that's when people started coming back and saying, yeah, I know of another business. If you're still buying, um, the, the first business puts you in a different category in a large portion of population's mind. So that includes lenders, that includes investment partners, that includes, uh, other businesses. Um, you, you are in a different category when you're a business owner versus when you are a wannabe. Um, I guess people have seen probably a lot of wannabes. I guess, you know, you and I probably have too. Um, and there's a lot of enthusiasm and no real action. Getting over to that business owner world uh, changes the way everybody thinks about you. And that makes all the difference. Uh, it, it's kind of like your first million, they say. Getting your first million is the hardest after that, no big deal. Getting your first business is the hardest. After that, no big deal. That's the nature of things. If you look at almost any information product or anything like that, you know, uh, they sell, if they sell it to 100, actually, you know, 50 or 60 will crack it open, right? And some of them just sitting. And I'm guilty of this a little bit. I've got, I've got some info products that I've bought in the real estate space anyway that still have cellophane on them on my shelf somewhere. Right. I bought them because I might need them someday and it wasn't that expensive. And if I, you know, I always had this mentality, if I pull one tool out of that at the volume of business I'm doing, it improves my business. It's worth the two grand. Right. Right. So <clears throat> that said, 
I think the rule of thumb is right now, it's like 97% of the people that take these courses do nothing with them. Yeah. Right. And it was hard on me because I actually have a, an education company that I was involved with and ended up uh, selling most of it or transferring most of it to a partner there. But we created a, sell it to me. <laughs> we had a real estate investment, uh, like a thing called the rec real estate investment center that I helped create with a partner. And I would teach some of the classes and stuff. And it got to where I just kind of got disillusioned with the whole thing because people come through there and I mean, I have friends who are performance coaches and everything. We'd stick them on them and they still wouldn't get deals done. Right. Even he, even that friend who's a performance coach, this guy's trained on everything, NLP, cognitive behavior, you name it. He's had the training. If he can't get people to pull the trigger on something, nobody can. Right. Right. And just some people don't. Well, so for a lot of people, getting the knowledge is scratching the itch. For So, I mean, in the book industry, it used to be they would say roughly 30% of the books that get purchased get opened. Because uh, having it, I mean, I could look at it if I wanted to. It's right there. It's mine now. It's not out here. Um, having it is uh, half the battle. And a lot of, for a lot of people, going through the coursework is a lot of the battle. That's the – we have a coaching company, a, a we have a uh, executive uh, coaching and leadership development company for Fortune 2000 companies. Um, and one of the constant struggles being a coach is if you actually care about your students, which is usually who becomes a coach, um, it's hard because your students are going to pay you. They'll even pay you lots of money to ignore you. You'll right. give them good advice and they'll go, yeah, okay, I, I can't. I wish I could. I don't, I'll work on it. It never happens. You know who uh, <clears throat> you know who Jay Conrad uh, Jay yeah. Conrad yeah. Levinson is the guerrilla market. I was one of his coaches. I was actually mm -hmm. a guerrilla marketing coach. I got my master's degree in marketing and realized that was worthless. <clears throat> Makes me a good employee for Coca Cola or something. So I went and got trained by him for my own purposes, like small and that guerrilla marketing isn't the stunts and tactics. It's pretty much anything that's low cost, high impact. Right. So I became one of his coaches, and I got really frustrated in the coaching industry because. I call them assholes, right? <clears throat> An asshole is somebody asks you step by step on how to do something. You lay out a plan, and then they just don't do anything. They just go back to doing right. what they want. And they call you up at some point, and they go, "Hey, this isn't working." It's like, "Okay, did you do step number one?" Well, kind of, kind of, you know. But uh, okay, did you do step number two? No, nah, I didn't get that far. But it ain't working. I was like, "Nah, it's working. You're not working, right?" So we're we're out there. What are the what is a way to get past that? What is a way to like set up a structure to get the first deal done? So there's a couple ways to do this. Um, if you are determined to be the majority owner and do it mostly on your own, what, what I tell people is the easiest way to do that is to be what people expect to see. So for instance, my background was technology. The number one acquisition for me that was going to be easiest was going to be a technology acquisition. I've done this stuff for 27 years. If you're selling a technology company, I pretty much understand how that works. I understand how the market works. I understand how the sales work. I, I can notice things inside your company that tell me about it because I've been in enough companies to, to see that. Uh, and that's so for smaller businesses, like so we buy in the one to 20 million revenue range. Those people are expecting people like that. So an expert in the industry who's ready to own. The banks are expecting to fund somebody who is an expert in the industry, ready to do it on its own. It's, I mean, they're this far away from uh, having done it already. And it's just the next logical step. So if you have a background, a good background in something, whether or not you want to own a business in that something, that's still going to be your easiest path to get that first company. Funding the easy, easiest path uh, is the SBA. Um, 
and I say easiest because they will do almost any deal that you're qualified for and the, and the price isn't stupid. Banks will be a lot more selective, but the purpose of the SBA, if you remember the purpose of the SBA, whenever you're working with them, is to employ more people. Then, and all you're doing is you're functioning as an independent agent of the federal government spending government money. It's the only time you have to do that. Spending federal money in order to create a business, buy a business, employ people. Um, that's their focus. So they're a little different than a bank that way. A, a bank is a little more selective and you've got to go through a lot of banks. Not that you shouldn't, but you've got to go through a lot of banks to find their sweet spot because every lender will tell you, yeah, we lend on any project, but 90% of what we lended was this. Finding those sweet spots that map up with your uh, the business you want to get is, is more difficult. But again, for speed of action, the SBA and, and a business that you have a background in are the quickest ways to get there. Now, the SBA is not quick in any other sense of the imagination. <laughs> um, it takes them 90 days to work through you, the company and figure things out and ask for every paper they've ever touched. And it, it's very detailed, but, and, and there's lots of rules, um, but it is still the quickest way to get funded to do a deal as long as the deal is under $5 million. So we've now, had a few people. Way. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I said that was the first way. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. ADD. Did I say something before? <laughs> the second way is to partner with somebody. And I always say this is my, this is my self-serving uh, answer. Uh, if you partner with somebody who's already doing a deal and you buy equity into that deal, then you're an owner. And nobody comes and says, hey, what percentage do you own? Uh, so if you own a, if you're a 1% owner in a amazing AI technology company, don't do that. They don't make any profit. Um, then you are an AI company owner. Um, and, and that's how people will see you. They don't see you as the 1% guy. They see you as an owner guy. And all of a sudden for a much smaller investment and maybe in a much surer deal, if you're partnering with the right people, you are, you get an inside view of what it looks like to do the acquisition and to, and to live it out. And you also get to be an owner now and you've, you've jumped status. Uh, so it makes a, makes a huge difference um, to be able to do that uh, if you're willing to partner. You know, a lot of people have a mental block. It's got to be my company. It's all mine. I, and I won't say I haven't thought that from time to time. But uh, if you partner with somebody, that's that's another quick route to getting that first deal done. And I'd say spend some time with anybody you're considering partner. I think partnerships are worse, are harder to, to manage and deal with than marriages. Because there's fewer anchors to hold you there to figure things out, right? You get right. married, you end up having a couple of kids. You're highly motivated to figure things out. You buy a business with somebody, own a business with somebody. Things are going rough and the money's just not coming in. It's pretty easy to tell the guy to take a hike unless you're absolutely in love with the market, the space, or this, you know, this, the problem you're trying to solve to right. where it, you're, you're there for a mission. If, you're not, if, if, you're, if you don't have a huge why while you're there... It's, it gets tough, right? So sure. picking picking partners is great. I love the idea. I love the concept. But I, I've had some good ones and I've had some really rough ones. So, uh, you well, know. Right. So and it depends on why you're picking a partner. If you're picking a partner because you think that you two or three or eight or whoever can run the best killer lemonade stand business in the world, you're probably, especially the more partners you have, the more frustration you're going to have. But if your goal is to buy 1% into a deal so that you are a business owner now, if the company flops, you're out your 1%, uh, um, right. which, you know, yeah. on a deal like this, it's a pretty small number. 
uh, but it will enable you to get to that next business that will be entirely yours. So let's talk about brokers and advisors. Do you go through brokers and advisors or advise going through brokers and advisors or do you prefer off market? Short answer is yes. Uh, we use brokers to train our junior analysts on. So I used brokers a lot in the beginning and I learned that brokers are a differently motivated third negotiating partner that makes everything harder. Uh, and they will often kill a deal because they're not making enough money on it. They would rather have everybody have nothing than they didn't make what they had in their mind. Yeah. It's been my experience. I'm sure I'm alone. I but, jokingly say that's why they're called brokers. You end up broker if you work with them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we do use brokers to train our junior analysts, which are generally think interns that we're training how to look at companies. And by using broker-led deals, they get to see a ton of financials, a ton of companies, and learn to look at, you know, learn what to look for in the PL, learn what to look for in the balance sheet, learn the red flags of the lies that will be told on the Sims. Uh, they get to they get a lot of at bats that way. And so it really helps them learn what to look for so that when they're done with that junior analyst time, uh, they're they have a better education than most MBAs on how to find a good company. Um, as long as you ignore the broker part. Um, and what, and frankly, what we use them for is they're very low cost people who can grind through the uh, hundreds of broker-led deals to find those one or two good ones uh, at a pay rate that makes sense. Because I can't do it for me. Otherwise, I won't be making any money ever. But if I've got a low-paid person that's grinding through it and they get to learn at the same time, everybody wins. And we'll pick out those few uh, you know, diamonds in the rough that are usually in there and the broker didn't know how, how to market it. And so he didn't recognize what he had is usually how it works. But we can, having seen enough of them, we can kind of see through it and say, oh, yeah, that one probably will work. Um, so we do use them, but just in that sense. Um, generally speaking, I so the success rate for using brokers, the, the standard that I've always heard is one out of 100 you look at can be done. Our numbers in the early days were more like one in 200 or one in 250. Mm. Um, it was bad. So I stopped using brokers entirely until we started this junior analyst program. It was just such a waste of time. It didn't matter how good the company was. The, there was a high probability the broker would kill the deal. I get brokers trying to be on the show constantly, and I do a lot of vetting to make sure they've owned a business. If you watch the brokers that have been on my show, they've bought a business, sold it, and then ended up being a broker because they didn't like the way they were treated. They right. actually they got hands-on experience. They just didn't show up. The early days, I had some friends that bought brokerages, and I brought them on or whatever. But uh, you know, you want to be on the show now, you got to show me you got some some skin in the game, some experience or something because there's just some states don't even like Oklahoma, where I just moved from. There's no license requirement whatsoever to be a business broker. I mean, there's, there's a there's lot of no states license away. required in most states. Yeah, it's like, or you just have to be a real estate uh, broker, right? Even here in yeah. California, you to be a business broker, you have to be a real estate broker. But I don't know that there's an actual certification or extra test to label yourself as a business broker on top of it. I just don't think there is. So there's there's the IBBB and all sorts of other places that you can get an industry cert, but I, I don't know of many state certs. Right. So the thing to remember about brokerage is this. The, so brokers are just like insurance agencies. The top guy owns the agency. He owns the region. He owns the uh, geography. The top person, excuse me. The, uh, but the uh, salespeople that he hires are almost entirely uh, commission-based, have never been in the industry, are thrown to the wolves to try and find something, 
and uh, hopefully they make some money. Uh, they closed 20-ish percent of the deals on, on whole. Brokers as a whole close about 20% of the deals they list, uh, which means there's a, you know, eight out of 10 chance you ain't going to get listed. You ain't going to get sold. You know, all of those factors tell you why there's a problem uh, because most people approach brokers like, hey, they're a professional in this industry. They know what they're doing. They wouldn't kill themselves to keep a deal from happening. But it turns out most of them have not been in it for more than a year. Uh, if you ask a broker, how long have you done this? The average answer is about seven months that we've received. We started to keep track because it was interesting when we kept changing brokers on the same deal over and over. The, uh, uh, and they're not, they haven't learned enough to be a professional in, this, in, this, in the industry yet. Uh, so, it, I mean, it explains why it happens, um, but still, broker-led deals are a drug. Here's the answer. Broker-led deals are a drug because you can see a pretty picture of a pretty company that you could own because it's for sale. And you just think, all I have to do is make the right offer. And no, uh-uh. there's so much more uh, negotiation to make all that happen um, that it's, it's just a giant drug that uh, I tell people not to imbibe on. There are some good ones out there. Don't get me wrong. I just actually, oh, sure. big, big announcement coming up, not today, but we just partnered. A, we were a channel partner of a, a, a IT-based brokerage that's been around since the 80s, mm-hmm. right? And they have buyers lined up. They coach people. I mean, uh, you know, they've been around for a while. They know what they're doing. And I finally, yeah. like when I found them and they, they actually reached out to me. And at first I was like, I'm not partnered up with no broker. And then I started researching what they do and who they were. And, and it it's a huge difference when somebody, they've been, like I said, they've been doing it since the eighties, like 87, 89 or something like mm-hmm. that. All, all IT companies, all 5 million to the $30 million range. Yes. And uh, they get them done and they have buyers lined up. So they commonly get 10, 15 offers and then they hone it down to four or five. And then they mm-hmm. work with those guys because they've, they've built relationships with, P&E firm, uh, family offices and tech buyers for years. And, uh, but we should be announcing that in the next few days or so. But, uh, well, I mean, if you've got a brokerage out there that specializes in a vertical and has been around for more than five years, chances are they're doing really well yeah. what they do. Yeah. The problem is the majority of brokers are we sell anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you know anything about that business? Because yeah. we sell anything. Right. Okay. There are great Let's, brokers. They're just hard to find. So, so we'll put the brokers aside. Let's talk about off-market. What's the best way to find off-market deals? So the best way is also the way that is uh, challenging for most people that are just entering. Mm-hmm. So the best off-market deal you're going to get is from somebody you already know. Uh, somebody who is somewhere in your network already, knows you, knows you're an honest person, uh, knows that you're not fly-by-night, uh, and has a business for sale that they want to go to, if not a relative, they would then want to go to somebody they trust. Uh, so the right. best, easiest, easiest deal is one that's in your network already. And you just have to mine your network to ask people, hey, are you looking to sell? Do you know somebody's looking to sell? That's always the best deal. Do you do cold outreach and off market? Like you, you identify a highly targeted, like we want companies that match this criteria and you reach out to them? So honestly, um, not much. Certainly not much anymore. We did a lot of uh, networking one-on-one to meet a lot of folks. But these days, we don't do that much anymore because we're looking for, uh, and this you know, this sounds like what everybody should be doing, right? But we're looking for companies to qualify themselves and come to us. And so we have set up a little bit 
for me, a little bit of a persona on LinkedIn that talks about small business stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do presentations here and there. We'll do a podcast here and there. We'll do articles for magazines occasionally. Uh, we do a lot of things that display our expertise and hopefully are really helpful to that business owner who's looking to sell. Uh, and we've got a video series that's been in my head for a year and a half and I've had no time to do that I'm going to do now. Uh, just little short videos that walk through the entire process with a, uh, with a seller, somebody who's considering selling a business, but they, they all say the same thing. I have no idea where to go. I look online, I get a bunch of trash. I have no idea who I can trust. Um, so we're trying to put together a series of videos that at least walks through the process about the things they need to know if they're going to sell. Are you going to so, do that in like an email drip or uh, how are you going to, how are you going to present it? Uh, so we're going to have it. So we have a, you know, everybody, every couple of years has a brand new website. We just have a brand new website. Um, <laughs> so on our new website and on LinkedIn, we're going to be sending it out and we mm. are working with, uh, so we don't even have all the things I know I need to do. Don't beat me up, Mr. Marketing Man. Um, <laughs> all the things I need to know we need to do, have the newsletter, have the email list, all that stuff. The honest truth is we've been too busy to get that done, which is a good reason not to do it. But it's still, as I'm building SweetView Partners to be able to handle more capacity, absolutely things we are going to be doing. Awesome. Uh, What's the importance of having a highly targeted buying criteria? And do you guys have one? Our, our buying criteria is relatively simple. We buy in the state of Texas, one to 20 million in revenue, uh, except in technology, we like them to be, have been around at least 10 years and have at least 10 employees. Um, they need to be profitable. Uh, and we, we buy B2B generally, and our specialties are energy technology and construction. That, that's our specification because we know our success rate is much higher in that area. Um, the importance of it is twofold. One is it helps you focus because, uh, like you're saying, there's lots of shiny things out there. And if you get distracted, as most entrepreneurs who are also ADD and easily distracted, um, there's too many companies out there to distract you. If you're just thinking anything that's good, having that helps keep you focused. Um, and we use it with our junior analysts now is we've got a worksheet that says, here's a specification. And constantly, it's, it's just like our own brain, which was why it makes me upset. It's just like our own brain. They'll come back and say, well, what about this one? I said, okay. Is it this? Yes. Is it this? Yes. Is it this? No. That sounds like a no. Um, and they say, but it's a great company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not what we do. We do this. Uh, so it really helps to focus your own brain. But equally importantly, everybody you talk to that you tell that you're buying businesses now, it helps them focus their brain, too, because if you tell them you're doing everything, I buy any kind of business, they're going to go, oh, that's nice. But if you tell them I buy left-handed cat emporia based <laughs> in southern states with people who have been in their town for three generations, you can bet when they walk into the next left-handed cat emporium, they're going to say, I know a guy who wants to buy this very business. Um, and they will remember you. It helps them to, everybody wants to categorize you so they know how better to think about you. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's just a thing. Uh, and so if you help them with that category, it keeps it in their mind. So they're now out becoming your salespeople effectively. So both for you and for uh, people you talk to is important to have that deal specification down pat. 
the deal specification I get, like, you know, I know right now I'm looking for businesses that do a million to $10 million. Uh, I prefer things that either have a recurring revenue model or something I can add to it fairly simple, right? Uh, there's uh, 10 or more employees. I don't want to buy myself a job. I understand and I acknowledge that I'll have to get in and get busy for the first while, but I want it to be up, running, and fairly operator independent. Like, I don't need to be the... I, and I be honest, most of the time, I don't want the, uh, the main operator to stay, right? right. I'm not a PE firm. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not doing that. Um, but I also want, like, I want to know that you have somebody that's been there for 15 years. He's kind of the floor manager. He knows the business inside and out, and he could run it when you're gone. He's been running it when you're gone. Right. And, uh, you know, not every company, I'm a big fan of this one. Not every company needs a CEO. That's an ego title. You need no. a good GM, a good general manager that knows yes. where everything goes, know how the widgets are made, know who's make, who makes what when, uh, you know, where things are supposed to be, who's supposed to be there. You need all that. But, it, you know, you don't necessarily uh, need a CEO level person for a company doing less than five million dollars a year. Right. No. You know, you need okay. a good operator. And um, that's one of the critical things I have right now is uh one of the questions I ask, you'll get it. We'll get, we'll get to this point at some point. How do you pick great operators? Because been burned a few times and, you know, I've tried, we just, we just talked about this for half the last show I did, um, which is we do disc profiles and mm -hmm. uh, Clifton strings and other stuff, but there's just something about, and I've had some people that pass everything and have a good gut feel. The one thing I've never found a standardized test for is integrity, right? right. <laughs> you know, um, like, you know, do will they do what they say they're going to do and i guess you get that from the like calling the referrals and you're calling their uh, references but uh how critical is the people element when you're looking at companies like what do you look at as far as culture uh skill set and team environment when you're looking at these companies you're acquiring so most of our companies one way or another the ones we acquire because they're b2b tend to be professional services of some sort uh, so what we're looking for are companies that are really kind of rock stars in what they do. Um, and they've got good people who are extremely experienced and doing the thing and they love it. But they have no idea how to tell anybody else about it. Um, so their, their delivery is fantastic. They have great repeat customers that keep coming back because it's so fantastic. But what they don't know is everything around that. So they know how to operate. They don't know how to sell, sell, market. They don't know how to do the business admin. They don't know benefits. They don't know a lot of personnel issues. All of that stuff is is just at this size, usually missing from the companies that we acquire. Um, and, and we love that because that's a great opportunity for us. So one of the first things we do, so we do generally replace the operator, the owner. Um, and that's because our focus is to take something that's really great and grow it. So in order for that to happen, you have to do things like, I don't know, sales and marketing that the owner is necessarily uncomfortable doing or he would have done them. Right. We have situations where the owner has stayed and we, we've made very clear, listen, we're going to do this kind of stuff. I am great with you staying, but we're going to make changes. And we're going to do things differently. And you've got to be okay with that. Um, and most of them honestly are not. I mean, they've done it their way for 20, 30 years. I get it. So yep. usually we want to replace that person with somebody of our own choosing. Um, because we're relatively small as a an acquisitions firm, we can. it's usually somebody from our network or from their network that is who we choose. 
Uh, and so we've got a very close personal connection with them. Uh, and we do, we do the assessments on them as well. And we interview them with a bunch of people. What I'm about to start doing uh, is I'm about to, whenever I have a president I want to bring in, I'm going to have my other presidents interview them and say, okay, you know, our culture, you know, how we operate here. You know what I expect. Um, maybe he's telling me one thing and you another, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, so Great use idea. those guys to evaluate their peers effectively uh, and see if they fit because they know the culture. That's a great idea. As I acquire, you know, uh, more than just a few, that would be a great way to, to do it. Just because they know the culture, they know the environment and it gives it gives that other the, the guy you're trying to bring in. They get a sense of confidence from it because they've talked to the other people that are working. Right. What's the uh, to you, you? We talked a little bit about this already. Uh, what's the difficulty versus like. I have the luxury of this is all I do. I get on the podcast and I look for businesses, right? Right. Some people are in a job and they're wanting to make the transition. How do you manage a part-time search? Because that, that seems like, I don't know that, how you could do it. That's hard is what right. the answer is. That is hard. So the way to do it is to um, have a meeting with your entire family, assuming you have people you live with that you care about. Um, both are good. Uh, get them all together and say, okay, so here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to serve our future by buying a business or multiple businesses, but I have to start with one. Because I have a full-time job, that means I'm going to be mostly a stranger for the next a minimum six months. Um, if we want to do things together as a family, we need to pre-plan them because otherwise they ain't going to happen. Because I am going to be working two full-time jobs. It, it's hard. Um, the problem is that You've got to interact with a lot of people in order to find, you know, kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince. You've got to go through a lot of businesses before you find it's not just a business ready to sell. It's in the right industry, has the right attitude, is willing to sell, is willing to sell at a reasonable valuation, uh, has the motivation to complete a sale, which is a huge thing that most people miss, um, is... Uh, uh, appreciates you as a buyer, which is a big piece, uh, and can see his way through the entire deal. I'll Finding add one to that, that one. <laughs> it's hard. I'll add one to that because they yeah. know what they're doing next. There's yeah. so yeah. many deals that get killed at the last second. And I've seen this over again. I've talked to like, I'm on track to interview over a hundred people this year in, in the space, um, probably in the seventies right now. Um, I'll hit a hundred easily this year. And one of the common elements is, is these deals fall apart at the last second. And when I ask, dig into why is they don't have the, they tie so much of their identity to being a business owner and being the guy who produces XYZ widgets. They don't know who they would be without it. And at the last second, they're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, right? I actually have a company in Tulsa I really you know, was interested in. The, the, a friend knows him. I know, the, I know the owner. A friend knows the owner and knows the owner's family really well, goes to dinner with him stuff. And he says, you know, the wife's really pushing. They're in their late 70s. And the, uh, the wife's really pushing for him to sell, and they built a 750000 which is huge in, in Oklahoma, uh, yeah. lake house over, over one of the beautiful lakes there. And the wife just wants to go spend time at the lake with him and don't want him working anymore. So I get him on the phone and because you know, she's wanting to sell it and, you know, he, he's there. And uh, he's been a business broker before in the past. So it's a little different, difficult conversation. But sure. first thing he said to me is, I don't want to sell this. I'll die. All my yep. friends that sold their business at this age, they die within a few months. I'm, I'm not ready to die. Like his whole identity, his sense of purpose, he has to, he has to live because he has a company and all those employees count on him. He's tied his, who he is so much to it. 
I don't know that he has a, I mean, until he breaks that mental block, I don't know if he has a choice of leaving because he's convinced himself yeah. that when he's done, he's done. Right. So you've, you've got people who can make it all the way through the process. They know what they're going to do next. What's the first conversation? What does that first conversation look like for you? When you, when you get somebody on the phone, they're talking to you, maybe they reached out to you or maybe you, you know, like you knew they're in this space, you know, they're, they're 55, 60 they're, and they're thinking about doing something else. Somebody makes an introduction. How do you, what's that first conversation with a business owner in, in your book? What does that look like? So related to what you're talking about, uh, one of the first, maybe not the first, but one of the first questions uh, I'll ask is, uh, why is now the time to sell? And listen to what the answer is. Uh, the real answers, the honest to goodness answers that get to closings are usually an external factor has acted upon this person. Yep. Their health, their family's health, their kid has gone crazy. Uh, they have a new grandkid they want to spend time with. Uh, they've real their their spouse is about to leave them because they haven't spent time with them in 40 years, whatever. There's an external factor that is acting upon them that is causing them to make that change because, like you say, it's very painful for them. Uh, so I listen for why they're selling uh, as one of the first questions because you may have the best business and I may want to acquire it and you may only want 36 cents for it. But if you're not truly ready to sell, uh, it'll never happen. I can go through the whole process and you're going to drop out. And that's very time consuming. You can spend six months working with somebody and at the very oh, yeah. last second, they're like, yeah, I don't think I want to let this go yet. In my mind as the seller, it's worth X and you're at half of X or less or whatever it is. Um, and we, we completely understand that it's their business. Um, and so we'll, we'll very, very friendly. We will kindly disengage with them and say, listen, I get that. Our valuation is just based on how we know we can make a profit with it. There are lots of other valuations out there, and I hope you find the one you're looking for. Uh, if not, you know, give us a call back, whatever. So we'll frequently walk away because we can see it's not going to come together. Um, and they frequently need some more time to think about these new concepts. Uh, sometimes they need time to be beat up by the market uh, and see that we're just not lying to them. Oh, this is a market reality. Right. Uh, and then come back later. It's interesting as I, I do the same approach when I'm talking to these guys. And one of the things I do, a lot of times that conversation of what they want, I don't bring it up very early in the conversation. It's usually the second or third call. But if mm -hmm. it does come up early, it's my, my initial response. No, I don't care if I don't, I don't know. I have enough, I don't have enough data at this point mo most of the time. Right. So I don't care if they tell me it's worth, uh, they want a dollar or they want a hundred million dollars. I'm like, great, let's see how we can get you there. And that's all I say. Like, great. Let's yep. see how we can get you there. Yeah. And the purpose of that is, is often getting you there is like, hey, look, I know that you asked for a hundred million dollars. Your company, like I could only in my mathematical, what I can do, I can only go to 10. How right. I would get you there is you got to do this to your revenue. You got to get this to your system of operating procedures. This is what you got to do. You get all that done. And, you know, myself or somebody else might move that number way up there where you want it. Sure. Right. There might be somebody out there crazy enough, you know, I don't use that word, but <laughs> there might be somebody out there creative enough that they're going to give you what you're looking for. It's just not me. Exactly. Here's a plan to get you there. Have a good, you know, good luck. But it's not until after I've seen the numbers, I've got the data. And like, right. yeah. a lot of times I'm like, well, why do you base your, you know, there's a discussion. Like, why do you base your numbers off of this? And like, okay, here's the industry standards. Here's where you're at. You know, we, we actually call and do the same. We'll, yeah. we'll call them up and say, Hey, listen, we really liked your company. You run a really, you run a very well, you have a very well operated company there. Mm -hmm. We really like it. Uh, I wanted to see if you had sold it yet or, or what the status was. Had, has the business changed at all? Um, you know, 
is it is now a good time to have a conversation on that? We we just like your company and wanted to talk more. Let's talk about the the, the conversation. Do you spend much time building rapport at the beginning, or you because need uh, to me this is a business person. This guy needs to know me, like me, and trust me, and I get there as fast as possible. But just asking questions and doing my best to listen, and quite honestly. I don't try to ask for financials or if they offer them, I look at them, but I don't get into that stuff until I have your origin story, know why you created what you created, knowing where you're going. What's your vision for this? You know, if you had all, if you had unlimited resources, what would you fix? You know, to just really get into their story and why they're going where they're going, because there's so much value in that. And if we get into numbers beforehand, it just kills a lot of that conversation and it all becomes like, I'd rather, I just don't think negotiating based off of numbers is, and you've done a lot more deals than I have. I'm just, I'm just getting started in this. I feel that negotiating off of numbers is a def, uh, deficit. You're actually, you're starting in a hole. You don't have the rapport. You're, you're basically shooting yourself in the, in, in a foot. I did a negotiation class recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and part of my, my commentary there was if I don't know you and you don't know me, Money is the only common element that we can use to do this deal. But once we get to know each other, we can then learn the things of value. I mean, maybe the deal could be done with three pigs and a chicken, in which case I'll go find three pigs and a chicken. Um, But I've got to know you and what you value in order to replace money with something else. And so and and that's so my first conversations, uh, what I tell my staff is what I do is color commentary. The numbers tell one story, but the discussion with the uh, seller tells it fills in all of those numbers with the color. Right. Right. So I'll find out, you know, it seems like you got a really cool business here. Tell me, how'd you get into this? How how'd you build it? Um, what's the coolest stuff you've done? Uh, what are you proudest of? Um, why is now the time to leave? Uh, you know, all of those questions around, you know, tell me the story of your business. Uh, numbers are great. Well, we both have numbers people that will look at that. But I want to know, you know, tell me more. Tell me the humanity. Um, and so that's the discussion I like to have, which inevitably leads to they learn who I am. Uh, and I I am too old and too long in uh, corporate America to be fake about who I am. So you're good. Like you're saying, you, you may not like my directness, but, I, you know, that's the way I am and that's the way I'm going to be. So if you don't like that, you shouldn't sell to me. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and if they don't, they won't. If they don't yeah. like you, they won't sell to you. That's, I, you're talking about like uh, when, it's, when there's numbers, you're only you know, negotiating off numbers. I honestly think there's an extra element inside of that, right? If we're only negotiating numbers, if I don't like you, it's going to cost you more, right? right. There's, or if I dislike you, it's going to cost you a lot more, right? Uh, exactly. I've been even on job interviews where like, I don't want this freaking job. And, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm a consultant back then. And, one of the guys asked me one day, like, I went to this consulting gig and they, uh, they're like, well, how much, like, they wanted me to write documents for the next few months. And I, I just, I'm an ADD guy. I don't want to sit to write security documents, like uh, right. operating manuals and stuff for uh, computer security stuff. I'm a, mm-hmm. a nerd from a previous life. And uh, I was like, eh, 200 bucks an hour. And I, okay, when can you start? I was like, that was too easy, right? Yeah. You know, I here I am, you know, I'm making eight grand a week writing documents. Uh, and I got it done. And, right. um, but the point was, is, and, and, and they needed it because they were entering into another country and that country had to have certain things for, uh, security compliance operating. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in Oklahoma, in, Oklahoma, in the United States, safe harbor is a totally different thing. In Europe, it just means uh, it's the exchange of personal information and how it's managed and stuff. Here, it's something right. to do with like uh, adult material or something. But in, in Europe, it's about, um, so I was writing the, the computer security manual operating procedures and stuff to prove that they had a secure and safe system. And I was a computer security expert prior to that, uh, designing firewalls for government agencies and stuff. And um, so kind of knew the space inside and out, you know, learned a few things. We had to fix a few things along the way because, you know, you know, I wanted everything in the document to be true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, by the end of writing that document, the last day when I finished it, they basically I finished the document. and They said, OK, you're done. And they got me up and walked me out of there because they realized how much they'd spent to write the document. But I, I, I didn't want to do it. Right. Yep. So uh, but that said, if you're negotiating based off of numbers alone, you're probably not going to get there because the numbers just aren't going to make sense. You haven't built the rapport and, you know, they don't trust, you know, you, you know, want to, want to hand it over to you. So they're going to, they're going to need a premium, right? right? Especially there's a, there's an element side of these businesses that are run by the original founder and who's been around or second or third generation founder called a safe, safe pair of hands, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the loyalty of their, to them, to their employees and a safe pair of hands to hand that, that uh, that brand, what their that they built, what their dad built, what their granddad built, and those employees that worked there, their dad worked there. Like there's a there's a the human element to this that a lot of people overlook. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and part of our we, you know, we have you know our discussion of what we do, and we back up with you know facts and our history um, uh, when we've taken care of people. Uh, but part of what we do now uh, that we've gotten to a certain size is we'll come into a company. We say, listen, part of we know that the business is, is uh, based on your work. And frankly, I'm too lazy to go around and hire a bunch more people uh, because I pissed you off. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have any desire to be doing that. So instead, what we do now is we bring in a really nice benefits plan that we put across the entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. And we, we tell them, okay, we're going to bring in these benefits. They're really good benefits. The price is really good. But we pay for the employee. We pay for every employee the full rate. And if you want to add your family, it's, it's relatively inexpensive. But we want to provide you a full set of uh, uh, really good benefits because we know that's a big part of making you want to stay. And I will be completely transparent. I want you to stay. Uh, and, and so we, we, we talk through this with the employees and help them understand what we're looking to do and why that benefits them. It's interesting that you say that because uh, I was talking to the wife. Uh, my wife still works, and she usually we when we move anywhere, we move around a little bit. We're in the redwood forest of California right now. Mm-hmm. When we get somewhere, we start looking around and say, who has the best benefits? And that's who right. we try to get her employed with. And uh, here, like, the difference, the, she found an employer that did exactly what you're talking about, right? They cover everything. The difference was our medical insurance and benefits in Oklahoma with her working took about 700 almost 800 dollars a month out of her check and here it's 75 dollars like with better coverage and better insurance and like the whole nine you know everything's better about what it is it's a higher quality package of benefits and instead of nearly 800 bucks it's like 78 i think is what the number is right now and uh, so i was telling her it's like you know i'm one acquisition away that we can just replace that you don't have to work right i'm just you know Oh, most of my assets right now in real estate. So there's some ebb and flow with it right now. So it does, it is comfortable that, uh, you know, we structured our life to where we paid, I paid cash for the house. I paid cash for my farm. Um, we don't actually have any bills. So it's like, 
if, if everything else went to hell in a handbasket, we could live on her paycheck. Um, right. You know, that may not be necessary. Like, you know, I still wouldn't leave this. The benefits, you know, to she just logical. She goes, it's worth 40 hours a week to not have to pay four or five. If we did this on one of your companies, as small as they are, it'd probably cost us four or five grand a month as independent operators, as opposed to like we did. We did the math. We actually looked a little bit like 3,200 is the best I could find for having a family for insured at that level. You know, it's like, it just makes sense. Plus, I, I kind of like being away and doing, you know, she, it gives her a sense of purpose, too. So, um, sure. yeah, it's, it's critical that the benefits packages are great because that's how you keep the team around and stuff. So I, I like that. So, if you know, you're ready to sell me the podcast. You can become an employee and we can get you great benefits. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the it's uh, <laughs> cool. Um, let's talk about your company real quick. The. Uh, uh, sweet, uh, Sweetwater, uh, Sweetview, Sweet Sweet I keep wanting to call it Sweetwater. I don't know why. Everybody does. Is, name... is it a, is it a song or something? Sweetwater, Sweetview uh, Partners. Sweetwater right? is a place in uh, both Oklahoma and Texas. And, uh, it's been in a lot of movies and books and yeah. Well, Stillwater's in Oklahoma. So maybe that like there, I don't know if there's, there might be a Sweetwater too. I, I don't remember that, but, um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your company, uh, a little bit. Like how do people reach out to you? What are you looking for? Uh, I, we've been on here for an hour a little bit, so I don't want to cut you off anytime, but you might have other stuff to do. So let's make sure people know, you know, what Sweetview is looking for, how to reach out to you. Uh, um, you know, give us a pitch. It's, it's hundred percent okay on this show to, to pitch something. Absolutely. So Sweetview partners, as we talked about, is looking for Texas based small businesses in the one to $20 million range. Uh, we're, we're generically business to business. Uh, specifically construction, energy, and technology businesses. Uh, and what we do, so the, there's a lot of places to pick to sell your business to. But the reason people pick us is because we are going to maintain the name. We are going to maintain, maintain the people, except in one case with one employee where they recommended, the owner recommended, maybe you want to get rid Unless of you person. tell us otherwise. <laughs> yeah. um, we maintain the people. And what we're doing is we're building around the edges to grow that. Mm-hmm. So, our job is to take it from what you have built, which is usually really high quality, and take it to the next stage where it can survive on its own. It becomes its own organism at that level. At that point, this thing that you built with the name you gave it, and probably most of the core people still there, um, is able to survive on its own without the day-to-day involvement of a president or an owner. Um, and, and that's our goal, is to take your thing that can't survive without you right now and turn it into something that survives on its own and can keep growing uh, with the pieces that we've put in there. Uh, we'll, we will add on com- uh, compatible businesses, we'll grow sales, we'll help your employees, like I say, with benefits. Uh, we'll often come in uh, and offer key employees a chance to buy into the equity to get really connected with the company. Um, and, and we our, because most of our stuff is professional services, we understand how important the people are. So we treat them right. That's what we do. Awesome. How do people reach out to you? I mean, what's the best way to contact you? Best way to find us is, is via the website, uh, sweetviewpartners.com. Uh, there's a contact us uh, section there. You can either just send us an email or you can actually schedule with one of us there. Um, that That's the easiest way to get hold of us. And frankly, I'm uh, I'm a little bit of a uh, ADD workaholic, perhaps. Uh, so I'm usually in a meeting somewhere. So if you call me, you're going to end up leaving a voicemail anyway. So you might as well leave email. Right. So um, you guys looking for any teammates or anything like that also? Or uh, 
So we're always looking for really good people. So, you know, we always need new presidents. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're always looking for really good, qualified people who, again, my, my idea of qualified is you are high character. You have had the responsibility of at least a P&L in a larger company. Uh, and you're looking to take all the skills you've built over your entire life and start to deploy them in a place where you're making the decisions. Uh, you know you can do it. You've, you know, there's all sorts of this stuff you proposed to your companies before, uh, and you just need the right opportunity. And in doing that, we partner with our presidents to create milestones to get them equity in the company, so that everybody wins. When they win, everybody wins. Uh, so we're always looking for really good quality in Texas people. Awesome. And uh, I love that uh, that model because that's kind of where I'm at with the same thing is I'm looking to bring people in that are, you know, uh, they've done it before. They're, you know, would be an excellent leader inside of that space. They might even be out there looking for a business to buy of their own and just don't mm-hmm. know how to negotiate. This yeah. gives them an opportunity to come in, own a piece, earn a bigger piece over time. And eventually, you know, I, I do plan on hold some, holding some of these long-term, but some of these companies, uh, I'd be interested in working with one of these particular operators. I'll go out and negotiate it. We buy it together. We grow it. You eventually buy it out of, out of underneath me at a decent, you know, I make, you know, make my money and then it's yours. Right. right. Uh, I'm working with two guys right now that that's what we're looking at. It's part of the retirement yeah. plan. We're retiring them out of uh, government services. And uh, so I'm out talking to companies they might be interested in and Neat. potentially a third. So that's fun, right? Like I'll go out, we'll, I'll find it. I'll, I'll negotiate it. We'll do it together. We'll own a big chunk of it together. And over time, uh, you buy me out and it's yours where I bought, you know, if you decide you don't something you don't want, I'm buying you out. Cause I'm not going to negotiate anything for you that I wouldn't want to. Right. So or frankly, uh, we sell it and we both take the money and right. Live on Fiji. Right. So it's not a bad idea. Or in the redwoods <laughs> where I'm at now, but, uh, okay. Uh, I appreciate everything. Uh, we're, we're, we're at the time then. I just like the, we were, we were talking about this earlier on the last show is there's this park or this, this arc effect where you're at the peak of this conversation. It's getting good. And then you're out of time. Yeah. So, uh, might be a concept where I take these shows a little longer and just like let it ride and just tell people like, we're going to talk until it starts to slow down and then we're going to cut it off. <laughs> but, uh, like as it. of right now, we're scheduled for an hour and an hour and four. So I do appreciate you being here. Hang out for just a second afterwards. And for you guys listening, that's the show, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline, leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, 
Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the itexchangenet.com slash marketplace, how to exit. That link will be in the show notes. Visit them now. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T-I-E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.